and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we have crew members Grace. Hi. And Sue. Hey there. And before we get started, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I'm going to start off by getting Grace to talk a little bit about Geek Girl Con and Geek about... Geek Girl Con, yes. Yes, and about some other some other news. So go ahead, Grace. Well, first off, we had a great turnout at Geek Girl Con this weekend, uh, this past weekend. It was amazing, and I want to thank so many people for coming out and supporting the event and supporting all of these great guests we had and some of the wonderful topics that we got to explore together this weekend. Now, um, in sadder news, uh, Star Trek original series actor Bruce Hyde has recently passed from throat cancer. Uh, for those of you who don't remember him, he was, ens- he was I want to say Ensign, Kevin Riley, And I wanted to bring him up because I love the fact that he's just an incidental feminist in one of the few drunken throwaway lines he gets. He walks into a room, sees all the girls at the control panels and goes, yeah, this is what I like to see, women getting to work too. And then he gets <laughs> drunk and hijacks the comm system and starts singing Take Me Home Again, Kathleen. But that bit always brings a smile to my face, just the one guy... Who, when his inhibitions are lowered, is like, Yeah! Why aren't we doing this thing more? This is a thing we should do! Which I can really relate uh, totally to when it comes to my that. inhibitions being lowered. <laughs> yes. So may <laughs> Kathleen take him feminist. home again to greener pastures. Aww. Aww. <sighs> Thanks, Grace. Um, I'm also just going to remind listeners that uh, we have a Women at Warp Patreon, which we would love for you to support. Um, over the past couple months, we've been um, putting up quite a bit of um, content, advanced content and exclusive content for our patrons um, from uh, Star Trek Las Vegas and Dragon Con. And uh, so we had, you know, a reading from Melinda Snodgrass, who is a, a Star Trek writer. Um, Snod, from what, what? We had some extra interviews from Star Trek Las Vegas. Um, so there's there's perks for you for supporting us um, for um, putting in as little as a dollar a month and there's higher levels um, if you would like to support us more it just it helps us do things like upgrade our equipment and pay for our uh, women at warp website and other things like that um, and get materials created so that we can spread the word at conventions and keep bringing you more content from conventions so if you'd like to support us we're at patreon.com slash women at warp that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp show us some love (laughs) so um initially for this week we had planned to air our show with special guest diane duane but unfortunately there were a few delays in getting the recording happening so the episode is recorded but it wasn't quite ready to be released today so we were sitting around and we were like well you know we we haven't talked about voyager in a while so we should do something about voyager and then hey it's almost halloween and you know what there are a bunch of great kind of halloweeny voyager episodes so and god knows we are just giant halloweenies over here Yes, yes, exactly. So we're all about that. Yes. So we are going to celebrate Voyoween today, or Happy Halloween at Warp. Oh, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, And look at a few of uh, the 
slightly, I will say the delightfully terrifying Voyager episodes, as opposed to episodes like Threshold that are just purely terrifying. Unintentionally. (laughs) We assume. We can only assume. And uh, so we're going to start out with uh, Bride of Chaotica. Which is a super fun one. Yeah, you just finished watching it, Grace. Do you want to give us a, a little recap? I did. The gist of the episode is that Harry Kim and Tom Paris have a holodeck program they call Captain Proton, where they go on Flash Gordon-style sci-fi adventures in the style of old-timey serial movie theater sci-fi shows. That was a very apt description of it. Um, Anyway, unfortunately, when they're running the program interdimensional visitors show up and think that the holodeck program is real and that this is the way they need to make contact with this dimension. So they pretty much have to play along with the entire holodeck program and they rope Janeway into it to be the Queen Arachnia, which is so fun to see so that she can seduce their nemesis, uh, Dr. Chaotica. Hi, Sue. <laughs> Yeah, so this was co-written by uh, Brian Fuller uh, oh. with Mike Taylor, and uh, uh, they Brian Fuller says that they actually sat down and watched a lot of Flash Gordon, which you can totally tell. You can and really the, tell, yeah. The art direction in this is just adorable and impressive, and uh, it's really fun. It genuinely um, looks like an episode that would have been really fun to be a part of and fun to make. Because it just looks like everyone's having a blast with what they're doing. Yeah, like Kate Mulgrew um, says, the, this is in the Voyager season 5 DVDs, I was the bride of Chaotica, only the funniest man I've ever met in my life. When he electrocuted himself, I wet my pants. It was just outrageous. And I got to seduce him. It's a cartoon. I was playing a 40s movie star. It was outrageous. It was so much fun. And I hope the viewers liked it as much as I like doing it. I loved the double punch, the curve, and when there was a little levity attached to it. Heaven. So you, and you can totally tell they're having a lot of fun in this episode. Even like, um, Tim Russ said that, cause this was the, one of the few episodes that he got to kind of go into. He had never been on that set and there wouldn't normally be a reason for Tuvok to go there, but because he has to go with Paris to check out the holodeck problems, he gets to go there. Um, and the doctor gets to pretend to be the president of Earth and, and he's just loving it. That's what I love that he gets the moment to be the total thespian and be like, I'm gonna be the president of Earth. And then oh, he just God. starts throwing puns everywhere, which is amazing. Like he oh, does. Oh my gosh. That's part of the beauty of the doctor, really. Yes, that is part of the beauty of the doctor. <laughs> yeah, did we like did you mention that so like there's these photonic aliens that are they're basically invading the holodeck because they they're trying to make contact because they're because they're, they're photonic well. they want to right. make contact with photonic life forms, right? That's yeah. why they think they have to do it through the holodeck. And since they're in a uh, 1940s serial, they of course show up looking like men in black. Which I loved. Um, and then, but then Chaotica thinks that these are invaders from the fifth dimension and he starts killing them. And this is like, this is, was the hardest part for me to suspend my disbelief because it, obviously this is a serious problem that Voyager has to fix, but I feel like they still take the death of all of these photonic life forms that they've just made first contact with, like, pretty lightly. Um, but anyway, Chaotica is killing them. And in order for Voyager to escape this like field that the photonic aliens have them in, they have to help Captain Proton and the fifth dimension photonic aliens defeat Chaotica. What a story. I could spend a whole 48 minutes hearing about it. <laughs> but, uh, Sue, what were you going to... 
Oh, just that I love a good holodeck malfunction episode. Mm-hmm. And I especially love it when they're pretending to be in cheesy movies and then the holodeck malfunctions. It's just fantastic. Also, who wants to help me make an Arachnia cosplay? I'll do it. I'm in. I'm straight <laughs> so up great. in on that. Oh, I was just going to say, so we um, we did have a listener comment from Elizabeth uh, via Facebook on this episode. She says, on one hand, it's a really fun episode as a standalone. Kate Mulgrew and the guest stars all seem to be having a blast, and it had a pretty fun premise for a holodeck gone wrong episode. On the other hand, I can never fully escape the context of the Voyager's sole holodeck tastemaker was a white guy who wanted the entire crew to take part in his fantasies of a pretty racist and sexist time, and they never really did anything to counter or acknowledge that. The bit where Seven refused to play the damsel and just ripped out the robot guts. I forget if this was Chaotica or another episode. That was, sorry, side note, That she said she forgot it is a different episode. Um, but anyway, back to her uh, letter. So that part was fun, but it came off more to me like, haha, Seven's a party pooper as always, than Tom's being kind of a jerk by asking her to play this boring ass role. And I can't think about Tom telling Harry he's not allowed to play Captain Proton without having flashbacks to Hal Jordan and the pie face and similar unfortunate comics tropes. Yeah. Ethnic minorities. Always the sidekicks. Not fun stuff. But I actually appreciate um, Seven being kind of a buzzkill in this scenario, because sometimes you gotta just rain on an asshole's parade. Yeah. It's our duty as killjoys, really. (laughs) I definitely like that moment. It is in a different episode, and I'm forgetting which one, unfortunately. Um, But um, I think that Janeway's looks in this episode also kind of accomplish that. Um, Particularly the part in the briefing room and then when she's walking down the hallway and Paris is explaining things to her and she's just making these amazing facial expressions about like how ridiculous this is that she has to say things like, I admire your clever fiendishness and uh, like flatter him and uh, use spider pheromones on him. Um, that It's that very fun of... that we have this campy concept of an episode, but the whole time there's just this big vein of, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it isn't explicit what the problems were in terms of the sexism and racism of that media, but I, I did find that Janeway's taking this as like, I gotta do this, but it's super ridiculous. Um, that helped somewhat. I also agree with the disbelief of Tom Paris being any kind of tastemaker, personally. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think, f- not to get into this, but Fairhaven is an even worse example. <laughs> um, it is but, true, though, um, that most of the crew-wide recreation, I guess, on the holodeck is all Tom Paris. Do they do, like, does anyone else make a thing that they all do? Because, like, the Luau is designed by him and the and Fairhaven and the Captain Proton. Oh, and Am the I... French cafe thing. Yeah. He's almost like, you know, self-appointed recreation socialization officer, basically. Oh my god. Tom is trying to steal Neelix's role. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, DS9 certainly has some issues um, on that as well, and um, I think we have to talk a little bit, I think, about the romanticizing these, like, sexist and racist media right. narratives. Um, Wouldn't it have been just great if Ben Sisko had just shown up and be like, hi, folks, let me tell you everything that was wrong about this period that we're not acknowledging here. 
Yeah. I mean, you're referencing bada bing, bada bang in Deep Space Nine, obviously, um, which I think is a great scene where he's basically pointing out you're totally overlooking all the racism of this time and I'm not going to pretend that didn't exist, which is awesome, except for no one ever says that about the sexism and Esri and Kira's only job is to like seduce guys in that episode. Um, And... uh, I think the worst example of this is um, our man Bashir, where you actually have like yeah, the, the straight up James Bond parody. Yeah, and Dax is like Doctor Honey Bear, and there's never any acknowledgement that this is problematic. Um, and even in this episode in Bride of Chaotica, Harry and Tom have sort of a bro moment where Kim complains, "Hey, I thought you said there were slave girls in this chapter." That was so <laughs> upsetting. Real totally uh, unnecessary. I know. Yeah. And then Tom's basically like, well, after we like infiltrate the fortress, we'll free Chaotica's harem. And no. like we've- It's going to turn out they're already being uh, freed by Furiosa. And it's going to turn into uh, a whole nother <laughs> holodeck program. It's going to be great. Yes. <laughs> Captain Proton Mad Max mashup. Let's do it. You know what else was totally unnecessary, though? In their conference room, after she, like, reluctantly agrees to play Arachnia, she leaves the room by throwing out the comment, I'm a size four. Ew, I totally missed that, but yeah, ew. Like, what? And not even (sighs) a scene later, Tom is giving her costume specifications. So, like, he's not going to order her costume anyway? I don't trust this dude's fashion and costuming advice. I really don't. But it's just so pointless. Like, why is that even there? And the computer should have that on file, too. But that that is really... Right. This feels like something that Janeway should at least be allowed to do on her own. It was something I definitely didn't remember. But Mm -hmm. it definitely got my attention re-watching it this week. Yeah. Ugh, that's annoying, because that, that strikes me as really un-Janeway. It feels like like Janeway has never seemed to be someone who's very preoccupied yeah. about her appearance. And we know that Star Trek doesn't really do a good job on body diversity, but for them to basically have the captain like trying to, I don't know, subtly brag about her weight is weird. <laughs> I mean, overall, I think... Uh, Janeway, it's cool that, you know, she definitely has the situation in hand. So even though at this point she gets, like, restrained by Chaotica's restraint field or whatever it's called, she gets out of the situation. And by the time Paris gets there, Paris is basically like, oh, well, I guess you kind of had this under control. So Well, she um, is the captain, so. She is the queen. She's the real captain. Yeah. <laughs> The part where Paris is like, remember, you're the queen, is so cute. (laughs) I just want to keep that as a motivation every morning when I wake up. Remember, you're the queen. Yeah, then at the end, so then, you know, he's like, oh, I guess you had this under control. And and she's like, well, I am the queen. So that was cool. It was definitely... <laughs> yeah, because like at the beginning we have Constance Goodhart like tied to the table screaming as like a very typical damsel in distress, and Janeway is obviously not at all that. So it does I think it does challenge some of those the tropes of that era of media, even though it there's no one directly saying, Hey guys, this media is pretty problematic because we're totally ignoring the fact that you're all like, Yeah, slave girls. Yeah, it's true that this episode is based a lot in looking at that and being like, hey, aren't these silly and ridiculous? But at no point do they really stop and be like, hey, isn't this kind of messed up? I don't know. I think that's kind of a trope, too. Because in 
in old stories like this, in like those classic science fiction action tales, you had the damsel in distress, but really the only other woman you ever got was a villain. So it's okay for the women in these old stories to be really strong and outspoken and ambitious and going after but things, only if they're the but bad only guy. if they're the villain yeah. yeah i mean she is the black widow trope she is queen of the spider people and she is using her pheromones to disarm men and let their guard down so that she can suck the life out of them and that that is very very much an Sounds embodiment fun. of that trope her reaction um, to the pheromone thing was brilliant though yeah, definitely. And because she is at the end working with Proton, so she is, she's a good guy in disguise. So it's, it doesn't totally dismantle that. It, it more has fun with that and shows that it's a bit absurd. And I mean, I would say Constance Goodhart does as well. Like the way that she's, her screams and stuff are portrayed is very much showing this is absurd. It's very over the top. It's very self-aware. All right. Um, any other thoughts on Bride of Chaotica? Love the costume. Yeah. And uh, love Robbie the Robot. Yes! Oh my gosh, Actually, yes. when he showed up, I had an idea. I realized <laughs> that it would kind of be an ingenious Data cosplay if someone went to a convention just covered in tin cans with, like, Data's face painted on the head. I think that would be very funny. And I want to see someone do it now. <laughs> just intentionally uh, bad cosplay. I'm also, like, I've been trying to keep an eye out for Halloween costumes because I still haven't figured mine out. So now I'm like, maybe I should go as Satan's robot. <sighs> but it would be kind of hard to sit down, I think. <laughs> That's always the problem, yeah. Awesome. Well, um, another one that uh, Greg on Facebook asked us to touch on, which is definitely sort of, more, I would say, even more Halloween-centered themed uh, than Bride of Chaotica, is Haunting of Deck 12, which when uh, I suggested this as an option, I think, Sue, you were like, I don't remember this episode. And I'm like, me neither, except the name. <laughs> um, so went back and watched it. And... I don't really find it incredibly much more memorable, but it had some cool points. Basically, it's not a new Trek story by any stretch of the imagination. It's basically there's an alien life form doing scary things on the ship because it's misunderstood and trapped and people think it's a monster. Story, really. Yeah, for sure. But the, the only thing that's new about it is that it's put in this frame of Neelix telling a ghost story to the Borg kids. I really don't know who in the writer's room was like, I know what we need. We need an episode where at least two thirds of it is Neelix giving exposition to the Borg children. It's like, but um, anyway, um, it, it is kind of a fun idea. I just don't know that it works very well for an adult idea. audience. It just could have been carried out better. Yeah. Um, so basically, he's telling the kids about all these malfunctions that are happening. Um, but right off the bat, someone sort of implies it's a monster. And Echeb's like, oh, it's not a monster. It's an alien life form. And they start speculating on what kind of alien life form it is. And Neelix goes, yeah, but we didn't know th that at the time. So they kind of cut the suspense out from under it because you know that they're all going to be okay and that it's not really a monster. It's an alien life form. I don't know. But I I mean, I did really um, appreciate Janeway in this episode. I remember as a kid being really scared in a couple parts. Um, 
like when the aliens start kind of suffocating her, but she basically kind of, I think in all the episodes we're going to talk about, she basically owns the situation and, uh, they are kind of trying to, they, they take over the voice of the computer and they're trying to order her around to different places on the ship. And finally she's just had enough and she's like, no, I'm not your servant or your prisoner rather. She basically is like, you're going to have to kill me. And, uh, they start, um, trying to kill her and she doesn't give in because at some point she's basically just going, I'm not going to live subject to your whims. I've tried to help you and you kind of need to help yourself. Yeah. I think this was, a good Janeway episode, really. I mean, she spent a lot of time just with Majel's voice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, this is such a ridiculous sentence to say. For the number of times that entities have taken over the ship's computer. <laughs> We've got a tally going at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's at least once a, a series, right? Um, but seriously, for all the times that something like this has happened on Star Trek. I feel like this one was probably one of the most well done. I really liked the, the you know, access this database to be able to communicate with us. Then Captain Janeway report here, Captain Janeway report there. How And how it used, it didn't so much talk through the computer as much as it used its the typical commands that we hear as a form of communication. And I just, I thought that was pretty creative. Yeah, I agree. And I like how other people are clearly a bit unnerved and she's never really unnerved. She's just, I got to be in control of this situation. There must be a, a logical explanation. It has some of her, her good sciencyness, which actually in um, Bride of Chaotica too, just to quickly mention, there is a really great scene with her and Bolana and Seven of Nine where they're sciencing the shit out of the situation. The boys um, are playing know. make-believe, but they're the ones doing the actual science. Can we appreciate that? Yeah. That's pretty much Voyager summed up right there. <laughs> oh. But it's cool because like after Seven of Nine comes on, you don't get to see as much of um, Bolana and Janeway, it's like there's, it gets kind of split up between Janeway and Seven and Janeway and Bolana. Um, and so it's cool to see all three of them together doing science. And Paris is just kind of there. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I maybe need to answer a question, but they're really having this like intense discussion. So that, that was a cool part too in that episode. But, uh, yeah. I just yeah. like well, the idea of ghost stories in space. Yeah. Even if they're not actually ghosts. The whole Neelix Borg children thing just kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, honestly, I'm not a big fan of the Borg kids. I'm sure we'll have an episode where we talk about Borg or kids or something and we can get more into that. But I don't <laughs> find them super, the that interesting. What the hell happened to that Borg baby? Yeah, oh, no yeah. kidding. <laughs> and I... I'm more a fan of Neelix dealing with adult situations. Like, not, I don't mean like Neelix having sex. But, Ew. Um, sorry. Oh. I just mean that I think Neelix's best episodes are actually his serious episodes, like the episodes where he's grappling with mortality and uh, the that, legacy definitely. of his people. Um, and I think that the times that they tried to make him into a comical character just didn't really work that well. Ethan Phillips has some real acting chops. And they just made the character a goofball more often than not. And it kind of did a disservice to him, I think. But Yes. But this yeah. also reminded me of a scene I forgot from Bride of Chaotica, which We just is keep coming the, back to it. Sorry, but that it's the one <laughs> it, the 
great Neelix Janeway scene where she comes into the thing, into the mess hall, and like won't talk to him until he's given her coffee. <laughs> yes, that is a scene that is screen capped all over the internet, and it is iconic. From coffee first. <laughs> Exactly. And um, she just I takes that, a big sip, waits for it to kick in, and is like, okay, now you can talk. Yeah, exactly. I think it's because it reflects how a lot of us feel in the morning when we get to work. Just like, no no people before coffee. Otherwise, it'd be, just be cruel. Anyway, so uh, moving on, um, the final episode we're going to talk about, I think, actually has some common threads with the other two episodes. Um, and that is one of actually, this is one of my favorite Voyager episodes actually is the thaw, uh, which is the uh, season two, I think episode with the scary clown. Yes. Played by Michael McKean of spinal tap fame. Apparently I need to rewatch Voyager again because I didn't recognize this one at first either. But and even even when you told me no, the one with the clown, I was like, "What are you talking about?" So, but the then one I with the murder clown. Like, remember? Oh, I remember this. You gotta make the dis- <laughs> you have to make the while. distinction between clown and murder clown. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a weird. It's a weird episode, and it um a, like it has very mixed reviews. And at the time it aired, I think it had even more mixed reviews. But um. Over time, I think people have come to appreciate it because it is creepy and imaginative and has a powerful message. And, uh, for example, the director, uh, Marvin V. Rush, um, he influenced the script and was really passionate about directing it because he had had personal issues with phobias and he wanted to show that fear, who was represented by the clown, can sometimes be a useful thing because it, it uh, reminds us of our own limitations, uh, but also that we can, it is something we can overcome. So I think that that, that kind of comes through. Yeah, that's really effective, actually. And I, I know it definitely played on a lot of my phobias when we have the scene where he's talking to Harry and just starts cataloging Harry's phobias and starts kind of making them real. That that part always gets to me just in the, oh, I'm uncomfortable watching this. Totally. Before we get too much more into it, um, Sue, do you want to give a sort of mini synopsis? Oh, sure. Um, so this is the episode where Voyager, I think it's just going along, and they happen across this planet, and their presence or their scan triggers an automatic message. That's like, there was a disaster, we're in stasis, we're going to come out in, I think it's what, 15 years, 18 years, something like that. Please leave us alone. Don't do anything that will interrupt our our stasis. And based on the date of that message and the current date, they realize that uh, these these people should have come out of stasis years ago, and they haven't. So Janeway makes the decision to go and try and figure out what is going on with them and see if they can help. Uh, what they find is that these... These people are hooked in, in their stasis pods are hooked into sort of like a virtual reality. And in that virtual reality is where this character, this clown character of fear has essentially come to life and is holding them hostage. So even though they know they're hooked up to virtual reality, if he threatens them or, or threaten, you know, acts like he's going to do them harm, like cut off their head, 
they're having real fear reactions in their physical bodies that are in stasis. And I think a few of them, maybe two or maybe more, by the time Voyager got there, had already died of heart failure from fear. So uh, Janeway and the crew take it upon themselves to find a way to defeat this fear character and bring these people out of, of this virtual reality, get them out of these stasis pods so that they can go and live on their planet again. Also, Harry and Baylana get trapped there, but mostly Harry. Yeah, this is really about Harry being the damsel this episode. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of, I mean, I thought that that was a good flip on the trope that worked. Um, because, so Harry and Bellana get pulled in because they're trying to investigate what's going on in this virtual reality. And it's basically like a circus, or it's supposed to be. Like, they actually cast a lot of Cirque du Soleil circus performers uh, as the background actors. And this would have come out right when Cirque du Soleil was uh, getting big and getting popular, so it would have been so very trendy. Yeah, and um, obviously Bolana is, like, he can't intimidate her, and he f- he feeds off other fears. So um, it makes more sense to him to keep... Kim when he has to send someone back with a message. Um, and also because he thinks that Janeway is more going to be more maternal and protective towards Kim because Bolana can like clearly take care of herself. Um, so not that it's still kind of the kid of the crew. Let's face it. Naomi's there, but we all know Harry's the real kid. Although there is another similar to the Chaotica thing. There's another Paris, uh, Kim bro moment in this episode. I would say growing. It bothered me a little bit less, but basically at the beginning, Kim has a date with Nicoletti and Paris goes, Lieutenant Nicoletti, the one I've been chasing for six months, cold hands, cold heart. And then Kim goes, not when she plays the oboe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh. (laughs) Can we please stop using broness as a shorthand for male friendship? Because we can do better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still feel like even, like, Bashir and O'Brien didn't get that, like, bro-y talking about, well, I mean, partly because O'Brien is married, but, yeah, I don't know, well, no, okay, I take that back. Bashir was definitely that bro-y early on in Deep Space Nine, but he was, like, supposed to be not very good at it, whereas I think Paris is still supposed to be good at being a womanizer. Yeah, yeah, we aren't past the point where Paris is just, for some reason, good at everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that gets taken on a bit later in the show, but um, Kim is supposed to be a little bit more inept, but still just, ugh. Like, they're basically just like they've they've sized up the pool of eligible straight women on the ship, because everyone is straight in the future, so every, all the straight women on the ship. And that hard uh, to believe. <laughs> just in Star Trek, apparently. Um, and, uh... And like they all, it's almost like they have, they're like scoring them the way they're talking about them. So that's kind of blah. But yeah. overall, the episode gets quite a bit better. Um, so one other thing I wanted to say though about this sort of like circus, uh, sort of background situation is, um, one of the other performers other than the clown who has lines is, um, a character who's referred to as the little woman in the credits. Um, so she's played by Patty Maloney, who's an actress with dwarfism. Um, and she is really, really great. Um, and she's actually played a ton of roles, um, in TV and movies. She but- plays this one with just 
perfect indignance, though. Yeah, she totally does. I just wanted to raise it because I thought that it was really unfortunate that, um, like I said earlier, Star Trek has kind of an issue, a problem with body diversity, and we don't really get to see a lot of like Starfleet people who fall outside of the norms of what's considered conventionally attractive. So this is like one of the very few times we get to see an actor uh, with dwarfism on Star Trek and she's literally a circus freak. Like Vern Troyer, who played Mini-Me in Austin Powers, um, has a quote where he says, we can do anything you can do. Don't look at us like we're circus people or these people that you make fun of. I hope we just show people that we're very independent and that we can do anything that normal people can do. So I just kind of wish, I feel like that is a missed opportunity that you had this great actress and you chose to cast her in the role of a circus freak instead of a Starfleet officer or someone that you could see as a person doing the things everyone else can do. Yeah. Seriously, infinite combinations and infinite diversity. You you couldn't have anyone shorter than five feet, really. Seriously, all of the alien species. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's like you're, t- you're Talosians or you're in the circus. Yeah. But... <laughs> Or I guess there were some other small aliens, but at any rate, it is very much about, like, you're different from everyone else, which is, I think, unfortunate. But she does a really great job with this role, so I I don't want to, you know, make this seem like I didn't appreciate the actress at all. She makes a very good, very creepy sidekick. At least they didn't cast someone of standard height for that part, right? Yeah, that would (laughs) be Because I could see them doing that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so just like I was saying that, so... I think it's problematic partly because of the failure to represent people who look different than a standard norm, which is usually not actually representing the average of the population. It's representing an ideal. Um, but also that with, you know, a few exceptions, which we will discuss in an episode on ability and ableism, um, there, there tends to be an erasure of physical disabilities and difference. Like I would say, obviously like Jordy is a huge exception to that. Um, but it's, it's considered something that is like remarkable and that's like something that has to be a, a focus of that character. Um, and that has pros and cons, but um, you know, when we get to Voyager, there, there really aren't characters that are just kind of living with disabilities and, functioning and being awesome Starfleet officers. Yeah, um, part of the whole having a standard crew that we don't get to really rotate out means that it kind of limits the amount of characters that we get, which is sad. But part of the premise of the show. But they could have done something about that. Yeah, it's sort of like the same issue that comes up when we have briefly touched on mental health in Star Trek. That the, the idea behind it was that by the time we got to this show there would be, quote, cures, right? Yeah, or these exactly. things would be, quote, fixed. So, I yes. mean, it's so difficult. It, it, basically... like, it comes from, from an idealistic place, mm-hmm. but it's still problematic. And, like, the only character I can think of that was ever in a wheelchair was Melora on Deep Space Nine. And really, she's in that wheelchair because she was in a – she's from a low-gravity planet. Yeah, and there has to be, like, this whole explanation. Um, I mean, the whole episode. I, and I value that episode, so I'm sh- I'm sure we'll talk about it more in detail later. I don't want to seem like I'm slamming that whole episode. But it's just to show that 
we rarely get characters where it isn't the focus of the story. Like Melora, the whole episode is about whether or not she should be cured. Um, and there's the episode where like Worf breaks his back and considers ritual suicide. Um, and I think you're right. It does run into that thing of like, what will we have cured in the future? But when you look at, uh, dwarfism, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, why are, you know, people, are living full rich lives so it's kind of insulting to be like oh well people like you wouldn't exist in the future it kind of it gets to like the masterpiece society it kind of goes against the message of star trek this idea that like people who are different from this ideal um are are somehow like need to be cured right and that's something that's comes up a lot today when people talk about finding a quote cure for autism a yeah. lot of people with Absolutely. autism will come out and say i don't need a cure i'm mm-hmm. perfectly fine the way i am so it it you know Different to imply that somebody needs to be fixed when they're never broken you know it's not yeah because exactly. yeah yeah because who is defining what is normal and it's it's the people who are not in those groups who are getting to define what is is like the normal ideal way to live so I think Star Trek at times does better addressing that, but um, it's just a bit of a missed opportunity. And that went really far away from creepy clowns. It did. Ableism is pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, to get back to creepy clowns, so we, we sort of talked about this, how Kim sort of becomes the damsel in distress and the clown kind of runs him through all of his fears, um, including one where he's literally sort of put in the position of watching this little girl being restrained um, as she's about to be operated on. So that is kind of interesting. And it's not presented in a way that's like emasculating in any way. It's just, this is legitimately scary. Um, And uh, although part of, there is also like a fear of getting old, which is also problematic. Um, That's ages there. Very, very common in Star Trek again. Um, At least it's not like in uh, the original series where Uhura sees herself getting old and ugly and just like freaks out. (laughs) But um, Kim sees himself getting old and, and fears sort of losing control of his faculties. And then immediately sees himself as a baby. Because he yeah. feels being helpless. <laughs> yeah. He can't win. He can only ever be 30. Um, <laughs> Harry Kim can never win. That's kind of a theme of the show. That is true. I'm pretty um, sure he's perpetually like 22 or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's like Batman. He never really ages. Yeah. Ah, poor Garrett Unless Wong. it's important to the story. <laughs> and, then it's but, a, and then it's a weird, grim, dark future. Yeah, definitely. Dark Knight um, reference. <laughs> Very nice. Um, but another similarity with this episode is Janeway saves the day. And in this episode, she like literally owns fear. And it's amazing. I really, this is actually one of my favorite Janeway captain moments. Um, because what happens is in order to so first they send the doctor into the holodeck to try to barter or negotiate with the clown um, and the doctor's and pretty really awesome cool. yeah it is it it's totally great is. yeah definitely um but then the the clown realizes that he's kind of trying to trick him um and shut down the holodeck or the sorry not the holodeck the mind link thing and um but then in order to try to save kim um 
Janeway says she'll go in instead, even though the clown is able to basically kill people with fear. Um, and he is really excited about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, he's excited in like, not just a way that because she's the most powerful, but also like a sexual romantic way, which is creepy. I think it is really tied up in, in the idea of, of him wanting power, um, because he only exists by making other people afraid. But it is a little bit weird. Um, like, and so when she gets there, he says, like, I'm not going to let you go. Not after all this. Don't we make a beautiful couple, Captain? And it's pretty gross. Maybe um, that's him playing on one of her fears, which yeah. is pretty damn creepy. So I would buy it. It is creepy. I mean, it does get to this idea that, like, women fear sexual violence. So in that sense, it's kind of accurate because, you know, in, in our society, that is one of the things that women are taught to fear, which controls a lot of our behavior um, and is not necessarily a good thing. But I think that makes sense. But, you know, as a viewer, it's like, why are you doing this to the captain? Because that's gross. Um, Unnecessarily predatory behavior. You're an evil clown. You don't need to bring sex into this. Totally. But then it turns out it's not actually her. She is actually a hologram. <laughs> that is so great. And then he starts dying because he's let all the other people go and he can't exist without their fear to uh, live on. And he, she gives this thing, the speech about Starfleet captains don't easily succumb to fear. And it's so great. And then we get that great final exchange between them of him saying, I'm afraid. And, she, <laughs> and her going, good. Yeah. And it's so spooky. I love it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So even though like he does creep on her, I, I could deal with it because I, I didn't feel like we ever got the sense that she was really vulnerable to it, even though we don't know it, that she's tricking him right off the bat. Um, it, it, she is clearly not actually going to spend her re- the rest of her life with Creepy. With Creepy the Clown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But... This is also, I mean, there's obviously a lot of horror tropes in this episode, uh, the creepy clown being the most obvious one. Oh, yeah. But I thought this was also kind of a cool twist on the the final girl trope, which is, you know, like, think about the end of, like, Scream. Um, it's basically Halloween, like the- Friday the 13th. Yeah, exactly. Like, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, it's like the clever girl, usually, like, the, the prettiest girl gets killed, the cleverest girl survives and kind of, like, unmasks the villain or- ends the villain somehow and uh luckily they didn't do the first part of that trope but are you saying that harry isn't the prettiest girl (laughs) well he doesn't die (laughs) fair enough he almost dies but like that is actually an example of like tropes aren't always bad they can be lazy and there are some that are pretty hard to make positive like the girl in the refrigerator i think that's like I yeah. cannot think of At a this good point. We can really chalk a lot of it up to lazy writing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, the writer uh, Dahlia Grossman writes at Bitch Magazine, uh, many horror films have a sexually predatory killer at its center. It's empowering to watch a woman fight and conquer her attacker. The final girl shows us that fear is survivable and conquerable. Um, so, I mean, I guess another example of that would be like Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Um, so that is kind of cool that they embraced that part of the sort of horror genre um, The idea devices. that you can not only survive, but you can straight up win. Yeah. 
And you're not just winning physically over an attacker, but you're also conquering your fear of the situation. So when we talk about how like women are socialized to fear sexual violence, the idea that we can own that situation um, can be really empowering. And especially in this case, because we've got Janeway literally conquering fear. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm I'm down with this episode. It is a fun one, definitely. It's very interesting to watch. It's very engaging. And again, Michael McKean just steals the show. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah, they did some really great casting on this episode, yep. and he was mind-blowing. Yeah, and I mean, even um, Kess has some some good little parts in this episode, too, um, just doing sort of medical stuff with these uh, people that are in stasis. It's, right, because uh, it's early enough that the doctor doesn't have his mobile emitter yet. Yeah. Right. Um, so generally, everyone, I think, is used pretty well. Um, I mean, if Kim hadn't been kind of put in crappy situations for the rest of the series, like this episode, I think, would be, you'd just be like, oh, it's a pretty good Kim episode. Like, he got to, uh, we got to learn more about him. And I mean, he wasn't empowered, but um, we learned more about his character. And if he... We got a lot of Harry in this. Yeah. I guess um, you could say it was a Harry situation. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they discontinued to play on him being the baby of the crew for the next mm-hmm. six years. Even when yeah. we have literal babies on the ship. <laughs> we'll never get a promotion. Poor Harry. The forever ensign. No, ne- never gets his slave girls. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, so do we have any final thoughts on Voyoween? Did we come up with any other creepy Halloween costume ideas? Any other Star Trek Halloween costume ideas? This is going to be a- killer cheese! Neelix's killer cheese! (gasps) Yes! I should just dress up like a piece of cheese, and then people who don't know Star Trek will just think I'm being cheese for Halloween. But then- It's a cheesy costume, I'll grant you, but still- (laughs) Well, this episode will be coming out slightly before Halloween, and I probably still won't have a costume. So if any listeners have any ideas, you can email them to crew at womenatwarp.com, or you can post them on our Facebook page at Women at Warp, or tweet us at Women at Warp. Um, How about a malfunctioning replicator? And you can just walk around and throw food at people. (laughs) Ooh, ooh, the impenetrable darkness of Janeway's coffee. (laughs) <laughs> i could just be the void and i could just dress all in black yes oh you could be livingston <laughs> picard's lionfish yes or barclay's cat yes and i'm sure that you know in future years when we're doing another halloween episode we will get to cat's paw oh totally but uh, we wanted to focus a bit on voyager this year um so i hope you enjoyed we had a really fun time talking about voyaween today but this is just one of the many topics being discussed on the trek fm network recently so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm standard orbit and they've added something completely new and fun I don't think anybody would have ever thought, you know, before this, uh, you, you, you can't you can't fix perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know, but I'd say that they made it more perfect. Earl Grey. Daddy, do pets have a Nexus 2? <laughs> the Pexus. Kirk had a, a dog in the Nexus 2, didn't he? Oh, uh, Butler. Butler. Butler is now <laughs> Shadow. So we have the adventures homeward bound of... 
Butler, Porthos, and Spot, <laughs> will they make it back to their owners in Montana? The orb. If he had like a game card, his power, you know, like would be higher yeah. than any other captain for the, their persuasion power. You'll be like, damn, I was winning. And then he went and played a Cisco card on me. The ready room. Someone pointed out that this is actually the shortest title of any Star Trek episode. It's shorter than Voyager's Q squared by half a character because the two is superscript. <laughs> We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> to the journey. It's fake intimacy. Thank you. It is them trying to say Jacote knows Janeway so well that just by fiddling her com badge, he knows the crap's going to hit the fan. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Here, here, here's a quick question: uh, Is the Blu-ray the correct aspect ratio? The aspect ratio—you've opened up a can of worms. Okay, I'm just telling okay. you right now. The... I know that I have, but the thing is, it's because of you that okay. I even cared. Okay, the Six O Two Club. I think you've uh, hit something here, and I've never thought of it this way. But the true savior of the galaxy—it's not Obi Wan, it's not Luke Skywalker, it's Aunt Beru. Literary Treks. Reagan's a great guy to bring up because his dad was this raging drunk. Mm, and, uh, you know, he had a sort of drag him in on the, off the porch at night because he'd come home, like, falling down drunk. And, you know, you think of... And here he was, this kind of great man for the country at the time. Uh, but he came from a place that was really kind of dark but also very relatable. Women at Warp. <laughs> infinite diversity and infinite combinations, even though it's not necessarily always realized that, that we're, we're looking at it through the, the lens of our time. But that ideal is there and striving to, to, to be better and to be more inclusive is, is such a, a noble goal. And introducing Metatrex. For Odo, the instincts are so powerful, they sort of override every other factor, every other value, every other choice that he has. And I think that's the point of this, this view of determinism, that all actions that look like they're freely chosen are really just instinctive behaviors of one, in, in one variety or another. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running. So once you've done the show, again, please consider hopping on over to patreon.com slash trekfm. So thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Grace, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? People can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, and they can read my writing on the Mythcreants blog. And Sue, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at Spaltor, S-P-A-L-T-O-R, or find more podcasts and blog posts over at AnomalyPodcast.com. Brilliant. And um, I'm Jara, and you can find me at TrekkieFeminist.tumblr.com. Um, I am going to be posting a review of Bride of Chaotica, hopefully in the next few days. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Jara Penguin, which is J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. So um, thanks a lot for joining us, and we will talk to you soon. Happy Voyage Week!